Hello and welcome to the latest edition of How Might We? And we're going to do something slightly different today. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a conversation and based on where we go with the conversation is how we're going to name it. So we're going to name this show at the end of the recording. So my guest on this episode, it's Adelaide Goodeve. So Adelaide, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You're welcome. So we'd like to introduce yourself to the audience. Yes, my name is Adelaide and I'm an elite performance coach. I teach people how to reprogram their brains to take, the, to take their mindset to the next level and achieve their desired results, whether it's increased performance or enhanced happiness. Okay. So re helping people think differently is, is, and sort of reprogramming that, that, that aspect of the brain. So do you want to talk me through that a little bit, what that means? Yes. So our brain is plastic. So they used to think our brain was hardwired like an electric circuit. So once those pathways were laid down, they didn't think that they could change. So you're kind of stuck with the results you got, whether they were great or not so great. But they now know that is actually very far from the truth and the brain is plastic. You want to think about your brain like a muscle. The more you train one neuropathway, the stronger and better and faster it is at its job. The less you train another neuropathway, the weaker and weaker it becomes and the slower it is at its job. So if you're at the gym and you just worked out one arm, that one arm is going to get super strong. And then that other arm is going to look like a noodle in comparison. And this is a bit like how your brain works. Because if you were to train your left arm and it would catch up with your right arm. And this is how the brain works is it's always strengthening the neuropathways that you use the most not necessarily the ones which get you the results you want but it's saying okay they're using for example energy and in the morning the most so this is the pathways that are going to make really strong we're going to bring them closer together and it's going to become easier for them to activate those feelings when thinking about the morning and so it'll enhance those ones but if we think of the morning and we're thinking dread the most then it's going to strengthen and bring close together the neuropathways for morning and dread. So when we think about the morning, we're like, oh my gosh, I have to get up so early. And we're kind of already in that dread state. It's a bit like sheep in the field. You have this chief sheep and every single day he takes his team to the same patch of grass. And over time, that pathway is eroded and it's more and more visible, it's deeper and it's stronger in that ground. You can see it from space because the grass is just not there anymore. And that path is very deep. It's a dirt path deep in the ground because they're traveling it every single day. But then one day that chief sheep kind of looks across the field and he goes, wow, the grass over there is so much greener. Like I bet my sheep could thrive if I took them to that area. So in that moment, in less than a split second, he changes, he changes the path that they follow. And now that new neuropathway or that new pathway in the field is now becoming the stronger one. They're walking it more and more often. They're using it the most. That now becomes eroded away. And you can see that pathway from space. The old pathway that they used to use is now taken back by nature and you can barely see it. And it's very difficult to follow. And this is how the brain changes, grows and develops as a result of how we use it and how we use it is determined by our language. Okay, so there's a phrase, I can't remember if it's when I coined or had a conversation with or read somewhere, it says language guides the mind. Yes, 100%. So the words we use are the architecture and structure of our reality. Yes. Yeah, because what we say is, and our brain can't tell the difference between reality and I, what we think either, can it? So we can be thinking exactly. about something in the future, but it hasn't happened, but our brain 
will react as if we are in that situation. Exactly. So it can't tell the difference between what's real and what's imaginary. And it can be played to our advantage. Mm-hmm. We can accelerate using specific tools at that neuroplasticity. So if we can get results which may take years in very uh, well, in very in minutes, sometimes actually. So for me, I had severe chronic fatigue syndrome, which is how I became an elite performance coach. So I had severe chronic fatigue. Uh, can't talk this morning. Severe chronic fatigue syndrome for four years, and I learned how to fully recover by training my brain, and I achieved that in three days and fully recovered. So the brain can get extraordinary results in very quick time by harnessing the power of neuroplasticity and the language you use so you can get the results you want may have taken years or maybe results you never would have attained doctors told me to have it for the rest of my life but you can use the brain to get physical and the mental results you want so mind over matter nearly yes mind over matter Mind over matter. Okay. So it's interesting to say about performance and happiness, because I can't remember that Sean, I think is his first name. And, he, I've, I've, and he's got a great TED talk about happiness. Mm. It says quite often we, we put happiness as the result of something, where really happiness is the driver to give us results. Mm, I love that. Because we normally say, when I get this, I'll be happy. But in reality, you're constantly chasing something. Whereas if you are happy, that is the secret source of success. Hundred percent. I always tell my clients they because also I feel sometimes and in our culture as well, like to achieve something, you've almost got to do it in this like very miserable way. And so what I tell my clients is, how can you achieve this result but in a more enjoyable way, in a way that you're actually happy? And it changes the way we do things in a dramatic way just by asking that very simple question. So I absolutely, his TED talk sounds like one I should watch. Yeah, I think it's Sean Archer, I think it is. I will find it and let you have it. I'll put it in the link of the thing because it is. It's yeah, a great, great talk. Because um, again, a bit like you, he talks about just, for, I think it was four or five questions you ask yourself every day and within 21 days, you look at life more positively and mm. has been proven that that sort of asking yourself those questions, which goes back to you about the mind yeah. and the language, asking yourself because you were hardwired to answer questions. So, you are, and it's a great way to train your brain, actually. So in the morning, I always get my clients to do a morning routine. And the brain, our kind of default is to look for the negative. And when we're constantly looking for the negative, it highlights it to you. Because it's like, oh, she like they want to see the negative. Well, that's great. I'll make it easier for them. And so it'll start to kind of take very small, maybe unhelpful things that happen throughout your day and make them into Mount Everest. But by asking yourself specific questions, like Sean's saying in this TED talk by the sounds of it, you're able to retrain your brain to, to highlight to you the positive stuff that's happening in your life, the stuff that makes you happy and that makes those kind of molehills into your Mount Everest, which is what you want. You want to be able to see the positive stuff going on in your life. And our society with social media, with the news, it's constantly training your brain to look for the stuff that makes you fearful or anxious or down and by asking specific questions especially in the morning which is the perfect time to wire your brain you want to really ensure that you're looking for the great stuff that's going on in your life the stuff that's helping you achieve and create and cultivate the life that you really want to live okay so that's yeah because what we what we notice what we think about is what we notice so like if you're thinking about buying a car you think i quite fancy a I don't know, say an Audi, whatever it is, or a, a, a Mini, all of a sudden you notice Minis. It's like, why? Just because I'm thinking about them, I see them everywhere. It's because your brain said, that's what you're interested in, so that's what I'm going to show you. 
Yeah, exactly. No, it was a really funny thing. So this was about 10, maybe 10 years ago. And me and a friend were walking down a very quaint high street in London. And I was single. I was around in my early 20s. So I was single looking, you know, looking for the hot guy. Whereas my friend, she was in her mid 30s and desperately wanted a family. So walking down this high street in London and she goes to me, she's like, Adelaide, there are so many yummy mummies here. And I was like, what are you talking about? There, there aren't any here. And it was if a kind of a veil had been lifted. They were absolutely everywhere, like lining all of the streets on this hot summer day. But because my brain was looking for hot guys, I was just seeing like great looking guys everywhere. My brain wasn't highlighting to me these this other genre of people. And I just couldn't see them. Whereas she could only see them because it's just she wanted that thing and she just didn't have it. Mm. There's exactly like the car analogy. And for me, it was, it was such a good example of how different people's brain edits their reality according to what they want or what they don't have as well. And it was, it was quite extraordinary, actually. And then it was when I was learning about the brain, I was like, wow, that's fascinating how it really does edit your reality and dull out certain things and highlight to you other things. Yeah, it's confirmation bias, isn't it, really? So the things that we we think about are the things that get we get noticed. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. You just say, ask one thing and do that, and the world can look completely different to you within that one question or that one bit of information you've been given. Yeah, exactly, um, which is why it's so great to ask those questions in the morning especially. So basically filter, change the filter from which you look at your life that day. mm and then so you threw it through that lens rather than this lens and it makes a big difference. So try that today. So how many red things can you notice today? And it'd be amazing how many red things you'll see today if you just ask yourself that one question. And that's the colour you'll see everywhere. Unless you're like me and colour blind, you, see, you can't see it anywhere, so it doesn't really matter. Then so. <laughs> <laughs> you might help. struggle. <laughs> what does red look like? I've got no idea. <laughs> kind of that thing at the top of the, the it tells you, well, yeah, when that's on, just stop. That's it. Okay, I can do that. Um, so it, you it's about neuroplasticity, learning to harness that neuroplasticity and the language good to guide to, to look at the good things in life that we have, sort of that appreciation of, of the good. Yes, it's looking at things that I say you're, you want to look for and talk to yourself in ways that is going to enhance your life. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to enhance performance, it's like life and performance enhancing ways that you want to be thinking and seeing your reality. So I tend to stay away from the negative and positive stuff mm-hmm. because we have in society labeled like some feelings as negative such as down feelings and then other feelings as positive like happiness and energy and all that great stuff but for me it just and i find it's very too simplistic because sometimes when you know when when shit stuff happens you know those those negative feelings or those down feelings the sadness grief they're really helpful to feel and you need to feel into them to to heal and to recover is when we come up, when we get stuck in those unhelpful feelings, in those feelings, when they become unhelpful or non-performance or non-life enhancing. But I really encourage everyone to think is, is thinking about your thoughts, about what you're doing and thinking in ways, is, is this helping me or is this not helping me achieve my goals or achieve the feelings I want to feel? Is this enhancing my life or is this not? Because once we start asking these kind of questions, you're able to, to guide yourself through your life in a much more helpful way than thinking is this positive or or negative because the world just isn't that binary 
there's so many colors out there and we need to experience all of them at different times to get really great results and to live our best lives. Okay. That's an interesting thing about let's say those, what we would normally class as negative feelings are beneficial to us in certain contexts. Mm. And I think it's, we, we forget that sometimes and it's important to remember that when something awful happens, actually it's, it's great to feel the sadness or the anger or the frustration to lean into that in a, in a healthy way and to not obviously not linger in it. But for grief, for example, everyone processes it in, in different ways and for different lengths of time. And for someone, it can be helpful to feel it for slightly longer than someone else. But where I find some people struggle is they feel guilty for feeling this, this negative feeling because they know they shouldn't be feeling it, where you start to see people trip up. And actually it's healthy to feel these feelings sometimes. Yeah, there's a thing called the mood meter, which talks about feelings, and it's on four axes. And it doesn't say positive or negative. It said, is it pleasant or unpleasant? Mm. And is it high or low energy? And basically it goes in those four quadrants. So yeah, grief is an unpleasant feeling and it's low energy, but it can also be high energy because it could be anger and frustration as well. Mm. But I quite like what you're saying, Zeta, but you are where you are and being able to recognize that, I think is an important aspect as well. So this is how I'm feeling and saying like, is this helping me or is this not? Yeah. And then you can start to think, well, actually, what would help me instead? Because I think, well, how can I sort of change mm -hmm. this feeling? What would I love to feel instead? And these questions aren't questions we ask ourselves. They, they don't come naturally to us, but they can be so powerful in guiding you and creating that life that you really want. So to do what you do, as a, how much do you think is there a requirement for people to develop that, that, that heightened level of self-awareness? A requirement for me, it, save my life so for me it's absolutely vital that people start learning how does the brain not you don't need to learn how does the brain work you need to become a neuroscientist to do this but understanding the that you can change how your brain is wired very quickly i think is absolutely key to understand because often we don't know that we think once we have something so i have people come to me saying i am a perfectionist i have anxiety you know, the, the way they express these things that they necessarily don't want to have is that they're permanent, that mm. they have this thing, or I am this thing, which is connected to their identity. And it can be very difficult to shift, especially when we're told actually you have it. So like now you have to manage it. But a lot of the time, if you have something or if you are something, you can choose with the right tools and strategies not to have or be that person. You can choose something else. And often when we're not given that choice. So I think by thinking in these new ways, by asking yourself these new questions, you can create your identity in a way that you really want. And you can start to have the response to certain situations in the way you want as well. So you don't have to do anxiety. You can do something else instead, but often it's not presented in that way. No. And I think that's an interesting point to say, because we do attach things to our identity so even if it's an illness an illness and some things that or if it is something like that can't change but i don't think we are one thing we are a multitude of things and exactly. I, I think we're too we're too too keen to label yeah and sometimes have, a big label that's, yeah that's the 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 labels are like the 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 bane of my life i really dislike labels because again they're suggesting once you have this label, you you have it and you can't choose to take it off. Well, there's an argument, isn't it? When you label somebody, they act to that label. Yeah. 
because I, it's interesting because once you get once you're given so as a child you'd be told oh you're a very anxious child and then you're like well i'm anxious and so the brain is like well this is who you are this is what we do it strengthens all of the neuropathways around that so of course when you're presented with a multitude of situations you respond in, in an anxious way because that's how your brain has been trained and programmed over all of those years but what is cool is a lot of people think if you've had something for years say 10 years it's going to take 10 years or years to change that response but because the brain doesn't understand the, the difference between what's imaginary and what's reality and because the brain is very plastic you can actually create that transformation in in hours in minutes or in days and again it's about that question isn't it i think it's gary klein who's a great quote again I love my quotes, as you can probably gather. And he said, once you gain a new insight, you can't go back to your old way of thinking. Mm. So once you see this, the, the life slightly differently or start focus on different things, it's hard to go back. But I think what's important that you're saying is it's, although you can change the thinking in hours or minutes, it's, you've got to carry on exercising that muscle over a period yeah. of time. So you can't just say, oh, I'm going to look at life differently. You've got to constantly ask yourself those questions to keep that pathway working exactly and that's where a lot of people have a downfall i feel they think like oh i've created change and i'm done but it's not like that at all you have to keep training training that muscle mm. and that you want and ensuring that the the path that used to cause you trouble that that stays weak and that it's not being used what's interesting is I see, and I've experienced it myself as well with chronic fatigue syndrome, is sometimes when you do a specific process and you have a massive transformation. So for example, for me, one of the childhood illnesses I had went away within three days and I never had to think about it. I didn't even know that that was even possible when I went and learned how to train my brain. Mm -hmm. So it's really curious because with some people in a session, you can create huge change and it's kind of it's set and they don't really have to think about it again. Whereas for others with certain other things, you do have to keep training the brain. So it also depends. And what can also trip people up is they've created a change that neuropathway is solid. It's now unconsciously, you're kind of like an, uncon an unconscious genius. So you're unconsciously being great at something. Mm -hmm. So you get to a point where you've trained the brain that's now unconsciously training that neuropathway for you. So you don't have to consciously think about activating and strengthening that neuropathway. But what can then happen is maybe a situation or your environment changes, and then that can trigger and activate an old neuropathway. And then that's where you can kind of have a setback. And that happened to me. I was living in Canada and the, the, Changing the environment wasn't a problem, but the situation changed when I was in Canada. And for me, it triggered an old neuropathway for chronic fatigue syndrome. And that's when I was like, right, I have to learn more about the brain. Mm. But I was like, that's absolutely fascinating because I'd been completely fine for years and had traveled all around the world. But it was one, a similar situation to what triggered the chronic fatigue syndrome came up again in Canada. And that's what triggered my setbacks. I was like, well, this is fascinating. How can I ensure that never happens again? And so it can, you just have to keep, as you said, keep going, keep being conscious about, am I activating and strengthening and training the right neuropathways for the results I want? It sounds like it can be a lot of effort and people can be like well it sounds like a lot of effort can I not just take a pill or can I not is there not like an easier way because we're always looking for shortcuts and easy ways but it's really fun to train the brain it's really fun to get those great results 
and it is it's easier than going to the gym to some extent. So you want to be looking and thinking about training your brain that it is a really great and fun thing to do and asking yourself these questions is is wonderful and thinking how can you get more enjoyment and happiness by just changing your feelings and changing the words you use. So I would like people to think that it is fun and it's interesting and it's curious thing to train your brain, not that it's a chore that you have to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think if we see something as a chore, I think, oh, just, I'm so busy. And I say, because we see it as a chore, then it just it just drops down the order of priorities as other things take over and like, the pressures of life. But if we see it as something we enjoy doing, it's fun. I do this in the morning. It's great. Yeah. Whatever it is that you're doing. And I imagine it doesn't actually take long just to ask yourself a set of different questions. It's no, just, five minutes. <laughs> five minutes, but as I say, it's the, it's the cons- having that consistency. Yeah, I... Exactly. It's all about consistency. So I tell people like you're just looking for a 1% change because that adds up to thousands of percent transformation over the years. Because if you're looking, if you change by 1% every day, it's not, it's more than 365% increase. You're looking at thousands, like thousands and thousands percent increase because on day one, you're at like a hundred percent, for example. And then day two, you're at 101. And then day three, you're looking at a 1% in- increase on 101. So you get a really huge transformation of just a 1% increase. And that 1% increase could just be changing one thought or could be asking yourself that one question and acting on the answer. So you don't have to do big life-changing things to get a different result. It could just, as you said, it could just be that one question and that one thing or having a post-it of that question or a quote that inspires you to create that change could be all you need to just nudge your brain in the direction because the brains will absorb that question. It will absorb that quote and it will just like on an unconscious basis start to help you think in these performance and life enhancement ways as well. So there's two things in there that you mentioned. One is the compound effect of change, Mm. which comes to a lot of people that I've spoken to and to do with sports. They talk about this marginal gain. Yeah, And I think that's the difference between sort of being good at something and being a master at something is sometimes is just those little marginal gains that people have had. So that's an interesting thing. And, and we talked earlier, you talked about triggers as well and how triggers can, we can, the triggers can they spark old pathways because of that's how we dealt with it. And it was obviously such a big thing in the past that, that it can trigger us and being aware of them as well. So the marginal gains things, they just, and I think sometimes that is what we stop for, isn't it? Because we want to. So if you say, oh, I want to lose weight, as an example, you don't lose one stone overnight or two stone overnight. You lose about a pound a week or whatever else it is. And eventually mm. you get to where you want. But it becomes easier and easier and easier because as you weigh less, you eat less and then you exercise more. And it's easier and you get quicker and quicker and quicker at it because you're shifting less weight around. That's what I found with my bike. So I was training on a bike, but as I was losing weight as well, I was getting quicker because obviously I was getting stronger, but I had to move less weight. Mm. So every time I got a little bit stronger, I was actually getting faster by a higher percentage because I was shifting less weight. So the power to weight ratio was changing rapidly as well. Yeah, that's really fun when that starts to happen on the bike. I also love cycling. But yeah, it's, it's so great when that happens because yeah, you're, you're, you have less fat and then you have more muscle so you can go faster. Unless it's downhill where it scares scares the holy bejesus out of me because i'm not too great on bikes so we're going down this i used to live in in devon and cornwall very hilly oh, so i beautiful. learned to, so it is it is but there's lots of hills mm. 
So you're going up the hill, I think, oh, that's hard work. And going down the hill, I don't really enjoy it that much. So I do all the work and I get like, and everyone else is like whizzing past me. I'm like, oh, I can't see you around the corner. <laughs> so, please I don't yeah, I stuff. actually really get that. So when I started cycling, I didn't enjoy the downhill too much. And a lot of people overtake me because I'm a bit slower and I'm a bit lighter. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I am I hit the brakes, especially in, in the UK. The roads are so bad that if I can't see what's ahead of me, I'm like, is there a giant pothole coming? <laughs> you just don't know. There is that. And also, well, in, yeah, in Devon and Cornwall is a lot of it's country lanes. So cars are going to come the other way. And so yeah. I want to be able to stop because, because and you see these people like tanking past me like 30, 40 miles an hour. And I'm doing like 20 around this corner going. <laughs> yeah. No, I completely understand. But again, that's again, it's what you're saying to yourself, thinking about that is affecting yeah. that performance at that time. Somebody sits there and go, okay, I'm doing this. And I want to go around that bend this way. And we're sitting there going, I'm quite p- fearful of the potential around that corner and that's having a huge impact on how we approach that that corner definitely i actually this is kind of bringing back i had a client years ago now and she was doing her first triathlon and it was all about it was fear of open water swimming mm-hmm. and then fear of the downhill as well because she had it was her first one she started i think she started triathlon a year ago to lose weight and to make friends and she just really enjoyed it but there was this fear stopping her and it was as I listen to yourself when you're cycling, what are you saying to yourself? Because when we start to ask those kind of questions, we tend not to be self-aware of the thoughts that we're having. Mm-hmm. Maybe we have an inkling. So she came back and had written down everything she thought. And it was all about like not being good enough, too slow, too big. You know, I'm going to fall. I'm really scared. I'm anxious. I'm going too fast. I can't do this. I'm too wobbly. I'm unstable. You know, all of these thoughts, which are stacking the odds really against you for A, having fun and B, being a safe cyclist. So we stopped all of those thoughts and replaced them with, I'm confident, I'm strong, I'm stable. And often like has cycling completely transformed and just hasn't stopped since. It's been amazing. But it's really important, as you said, to think about the thoughts and then actually what would I love to think instead? Because actually, you know, for some people, it is helpful to be a bit more cautious on the downhill because because of cars or because of confidence levels or because of riding skill. And then that's okay. But if you want to be thinking in other terms or feeling other things, then that's when you need to create a change. So again, that goes back to your those negative we'd say negative i know you don't like the word negative positive but yeah. those more those more cautious thoughts that you might have could well be helping you because if you are like me i'm not a great cyclist downhill i i, I don't have that ability to my cycle handling skills aren't great because mm-hmm. i used to cycle with somebody who used to be a downhill mountain bike cyclist oh wow what, what he can make the bike do i'm just like I'm like he's like flying all over the place he stands up he spins around corners he does all sorts so I think so I I said so for me they're quite helpful because they keep Mm. me in an area that's going to be safe yeah I'm not taking risks and so to me that I'm quite comfortable not taking risks Mm. downhill even on the flat really hooting along doing my little funky thing because yeah. it showed me when we went to Valencia and we did some cycling around there mm-hmm. and that coming down and you've got people going. So there's cars everywhere. There's cyclists everywhere. There's people overtaking cyclists who are coming up the hill as yeah. we were going down it. I said, this is chaos. And interestingly, the locals were quite good at it. It was the tourists you had to watch in the cars. Because mm. they're not used to that level of cyclists around. And, and, and interesting enough, mainly it was British British road users you had to be more careful of than Spanish 
Yeah, sadly, that does not surprise me. <laughs> Their attitude towards cycling is completely different, which changes how you cycle and changes how they drive. And it is, it goes yeah. back to what you were saying, is that our attitude towards it, the language we have, our thoughts really do influence our behavior. Mm. And what we see is acceptable, unacceptable, what's good, what is bad. Yeah, it, it influences absolutely everything and our physical health as well, which I don't think we fully understand or appreciate either. No, because I do. I mean, it's the, I can't remember the, the phrase of it, isn't it? But the, what we think and our, our physiological and physical health, there is a massive link between the two of them. So what we Huge. think of, of, so if you've got somebody who doesn't feel, isn't having a great day, you don't see them walking quickly. No, you see them walking slower. They have more of a hunched posture. They're looking down. And then that will be, how, and then they'll be, the, what's interesting is when it comes to changing language, when you have self-talk is also how, well, what, how does your voice sound? And if someone's having a bad day, they'll be having this like a down sounding voice as well. It'll be slow too. So you have all of that coming in. And the fastest way you can get people to change state or to change feelings is literally to change your posture. And that's where power posing comes into play as well, because it changes the way when we smile, you are unable to feel those down feelings because of the chemicals being released in your brain. And so you want to be harnessing this by when we want to feel happy just by bringing your shoulders back by looking up you're signaling to your body like hey I, I feel happier or I feel more positive or more optimistic so all of this all of your your body's posture how you talk to yourself how it sounds it all changes your physical response as well and it's interesting with with the words we use because often when we're maybe sick or we're in pain it's like hey how much pain are you in like 10 like let me know like on a scale of one to ten and the doctors ask us a lot as well like 10 you're in you're in a lot of pain zero you're you're not in very much pain like how how much pain would you rate yourself in on this pain scale and by now you've obviously had pain has been activated five times by now and so you're going to be in a lot more pain because you're thinking how much pain am i in okay, well, my leg feels a bit painful. How much pain would that be if I was to rate it on the pain scale? And so you're already like, all this is being activated and you're getting more pain in your body. So then it's going to be like maybe an eight. Whereas if you're asked how much comfort are you in on a scale of one to 10 on this comfort scale, 10 being in your in a huge amount of comfort, zero, you're not, you're not in a lot of comfort. How high would you rate your comfort? Your brain's now scanning your body for comfort levels instead. So, and it's going to enhance the comfort levels and the enhancing pain levels. So it's really, the words we use are so interlinked to the body. For me, it was my language that kept me stuck having severe chronic fatigue syndrome. My broken record was like, oh, I'm so tired. Like I got out of bed, so much effort. I'm so tired. Like brushing your teeth. Wow, this is such a heavy toothbrush. It's really tiring. I can't do this. You know, that was, was what I was talking to myself. So no wonder I stayed stuck by accident and unintentionally in that state of chronic fatigue. And it was by changing that language that helped me to fully recover. So it's, it's fascinating the way that our, our brain is so interlinked to our physical body's response. It's interesting. And we talked about that, that comfort zone. The language you use is how high are you as well? Yeah. Not where are you, but how high are you? So you're encouraging people to push their level of comfort up because we're talking, yeah. oh, how high is it? Not how low is it? exactly but not many people I've, I've used examples so many times you're the first person who's ever like picked up on that because not many people realize the subtlety of language either so when you're encouraging change you're always encouraging it using language mm -hmm. so like 
how much positive transformation would you love to have? Like, how high would you score yourself? Like, how how great is your day going so far? Instead of asking, how are you? As well, how great a day are you having? So the subtlety of language is fascinating in creating and nudging people in the right direction. Of course, the opposite is also true. And it can be encouraged the, the other way as well. So learning that and really, really, really nailing down and really being aware of the language we use. And even, as you say, even those subtleties in how or what words we're using and how they influence what we then scan for. So I suppose it's like a, a radar, isn't it? You, your language sets the, sets the sensitivity and what the radar is actually looking for. And then the brain goes and does its thing. Yeah, I love that. Exactly. So your, 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 your language is the input. and Because your brain's really good. Because it it's trying to be as helpful as it possibly can. And mm. it's highly few because it's, I think I read somewhere, isn't it? So the brain uses about 20 to 30% of the energy of an adult and about 60% of the energy of a child. Mm. And it can literally power a light bulb when yeah. it's thinking, it, the amount of energy it can create. So it said, well, you know, I'm quite, and look at it as a car. So your, your, your brain's really a four by four or the juggernaut in your fuel consumption. So what it says is how can I auto pilot more of this to make it more efficient? So, but your exactly. language, your language will guide those autopilot routes, your neuro, neuro, neuro pathways that you generate. And then as you exactly. said, the brain will unconsciously do it for you. So you don't even have to think. Yeah. And you want to just make sure that you're autopiloting the right neuropathways. Because you said it's looking at what's helpful to you. Mm -hmm. And often what's helpful to you is the neuropathways that you've used the most. So if you want to be a more confident person, but the pathways you've used for anxiety, that is what the brain is going to make that shortcut for you and what, you, what it will put on autopilot because it thinks that's what's being helpful to you. Mm. So you've got to make sure that you are putting on autopilot the confidence in your pathways or the results that will get you what you want. Because the brain, the brain doesn't mean to sabotage you. It, it just does by accident and unintentionally. Yeah, it's just doing it's doing what you're guiding it to do, really, isn't it? Is it yeah. Say it's a, is it a slave to us or is it we a slave to it? That's an interesting conversation. Mm. And there's loads of people say about that, the level of consciousness and unconsciousness and where sits where and who drives what. But even for something to be unconscious, it has to be driven. But for me, it has to be put in there consciously to start with. Yeah, exactly. What I find for me, I feel the brain having, so with my experience of chronic fatigue syndrome, it was unconscious and unintentional that I created the severe state of chronic fatigue syndrome for, for years for myself. Like I didn't mean, like obviously I did not wish that on myself, but I was an unconscious genius or an upside down genius at creating that result and kind of upside down genius because you're brilliant at getting the wrong result. So it's like an unconscious upside down genius because I could get it on demand whenever I wanted. It was like one of those, like a car that was maybe like a real tin can car, but just started on those frosty days every day. So you'd get this like unhelpful result, but by consciously making it, by making it a conscious process and now understanding okay well this is the real the result that is occurring this is the result i want and then making that result happen i was then becoming consciously competent at getting a good result and that led to me becoming an unconscious genius as you said when that's on autopilot for getting the results you really really want so for me it's a hundred percent it can start on an unconscious basis but you are then stepping into your power and harnessing the brain to get the results you want so again, it goes back to that awareness of what is, what am I possibly unconsciously doing with my language? I love that upside down genius. I've never heard that before. I think it's brilliant. 
Yeah, so I can't take full credit for that. So I learned with Phil Parker, who created Dr. Phil Parker, who created the lightning process. That's how I fully recovered from chronic fatigue syndrome. And he calls it when you're brilliant at getting a result you don't want, it's an upside down genius. And I was like, it's such a is such a great term. And I, I love it as well. And I use it all the time because when we get an unhelpful response, people kind of beat themselves up about it. But actually, it's amazing. In like in an in an upside down way, it's really amazing that your brain and your body has been so good at getting you this result that yes is unhelpful, but in a very brilliant and con and consistent and reliable way. It's like, well, what happens if we could use that process but get you the result you actually want? And then that's a very interesting. Like, well, that would be really cool. Like, how do I get that? And then you can go on to the next step. So how do you harness the consistency of your brains, the ability of your brain to be consistent in doing something instead of that way to this way? Yeah, because often when we sabotage ourselves, we can be very great at doing sabotaging ourselves in that one way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's so frustrating. It's annoying. It's, they get angry about it. But actually, you want to put a, um, a kind of a positive spin on that and reframe it and be like, well, that's amazing because your brain is doing this for you in this really incredible way. And it, it thinks that this is what you want, but it's not. But let's just look at the, the way it's getting it for you. Like, like that is incredible. Why don't we do that, but just get you the result you actually want instead? And people are like, wow, that's actually, and it starts to change. It starts to open people's minds up to change as well when they reframe it and seeing it as a good thing. There was a guy, so in neurolinguistic programming, you have Richard Bandler, who is the creator of it, and he has an audiobook. And one of the examples he uses, which I think is absolutely fascinating, is the London bombings. And this girl comes to him, who's terrified. She was on the on the bus when the during the London bombings, and now she's terrified of buses and rucksacks. And to reframe it, Bandler goes, well, actually, I would love to have you as my bodyguard. Do you, do you hire out your services? And she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, statistically, the chances of you being in another attack into this is like ridiculously low. So if you're with me when I travel around London, he was like, I'll be completely safe. And she'd never thought about it like that before. And it started to shift the stuckness because she started to see a, a like a, a slightly positive way of being of reacting in this way or having that experience. So just by sometimes reframing and looking at it from a different perspective, we can start to see a positive aspect of doing that unhelpful response or of having this experience that maybe we can just see as sabotaging ourselves all the time. So, and again, we, we circle back to this a language, the unconscious language that we use or the expectations. Yeah. How it really does drive our, drive our behavior and how we perceive. So that, say, refocusing or recalibrating how we look at the world or that because it gives us a different reality because there mm. is how they did an interesting i think they did a and it shows you how we think we see something we accept everyone to see the same thing and they don't because it's again how they look at the world and what they think is important and what they're thinking about that time is what the brain's going to be looking at did an experiment where some people in a pub and then they got some actors in had a big fight and then the police turned up yeah you did 12 people and it was like you saw 12 different films so there were 12 completely different variations of exactly the same incident that mm. they all witnessed at exactly the same time because of possibly their different ways of looking at things, what they would notice, what they didn't see, how conscious they were of what was going on around them, how much they might have been in their own thoughts and internalizing at that point. 
So that one event was not seen the same by 12 people who were sat there. Yeah. Which is great because imagine if it was, the world would be such a, like a much more dull place. <laughs> I'd be boring as, wouldn't it? Be boring yeah. as. And then Awful. you wouldn't have a job and neither would I. So there, we it's, it's quite good. So if everyone saw the world this way, it'd be fantastic. It would be great. And it'd be great to get people that way. But it's a journey for us to help people of what you're talking about for help people on that journey. So when we started, we talked about unstoppable performance and happiness is where we yeah. were playing around with the name of this. I think we've, we just keep coming back to that same thing, doesn't it? It's about be really aware of how you're talking to yourself and what you're doing, but harnessing that plasticity of the brain mm. and saying, isn't it, again, I'll go back to that genius thing. Isn't it great what the brain's done process-wise? Yeah. And then how can we then harness that process or guide that process or point it to a more positive outcome for us? Sounds so simple, doesn't it? So simple. The funny thing is, though, is it is almost that simple. Just by you just have to ask a couple of questions and use performance enhancing language. But it's the consistency that can make it more challenging. And sometimes when we're in ourselves, you can't see the wood for the trees as well. So you you need well, that's where, where we come in is having someone else come in and guide you through that process. Because sometimes you just get stuck and you need another perspective who can, who can help you see the wood for the trees. Absolutely. And, as, and I think that's all useful for everyone just to sit back and say, do you know what, how have I just after it, just think about at the end of today, what language have you used today? Mm. And then how much of it has been helped you and how much of it has not helped you achieve what you want to achieve? And it's simple then then at least you get an idea of where you are in your own in your own internal dialogue. Yeah, exactly. Or if you have an event coming up, whether it's a presentation, a talk or a meeting, an interview, then what kind of thoughts are you having around that? Because often it can be really helpful and you're setting yourself up for success or or perhaps you're you're not. And so that's another great place to look for what language am I using and what would I love to be thinking and feeling instead? Yeah, I do think, because I've, I've talked to quite a few people in, around interviews, and I do think a lot of people have talked themselves out of the job before they've even turned up. 100%. Yeah, I've helped so many people through the interview process. It's been fascinating because they do do that. People are talking themselves out of the job. They're talking themselves down. They're talking themselves into an unhelpful state. So when they go into the interview, they're maybe more anxious and the calm, confident person they usually are. So it is, you, you need to talk yourself into things, into everything, whether it's for an interview or whether it's for a talk, a presentation, a project, being good at a project. Recently, it was quite interesting. I had a friend going, she travels for work and they were going to going to India. And I could just hear herself talking herself out of doing this amazing job in India. And I was like, you, and I said, I was like, do you mind if I just intersect it? Because I will, sometimes people aren't open to coaching, which is completely fine. But I was like, please start talking yourself into doing this because I was like, you're so amazing at your job. I was like, you can do this. And some we just need that, that person to say, like, you can do this, but just start talking yourself into being amazing or into being the amazing person that you are in this, in this project because you have got it and you can do it and just remember all the reasons why you can. I, I think, and that's interesting because I, I was coaching somebody a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about them dealing with a character that they were, there was some conflict at work in the character because they'd just gone into this new role and this other mm. thing. And then this person had come from customer services. And I said, how would you deal with them if they were a customer mm. with a complaint? And they went, D -d 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 -d. So, so if I see that person as a customer, then 
they've got all those processes in place about how they, and it's the same skill sets. And I do think, and it's interesting what you say that we tend to learn something in a context and we say, yep. it's only, it's only applicable in that context. I'm in something different. I said, well, are you? You're still mm. the same person. Those skills still exist. You've learned to de- deliver them in that context, but you're in a different one. Are they applicable here? I absolutely love that. And it's so true. A lot of people, we kind of compartmentalize almost and separate these things, but the skills are, as you said, they're completely transferable and intermixed. And there's learning to pull on them in different situations to, to be your, to be your best valve and to be your performance enhancing way as well. So instead of seeing a world like a box, see the world like a dot to dot. Oh, I like that. I've not heard that one before. That's a great one. That's mine. Brilliant. That's, that's an awesome one. Well, I go because I, I do Clifton Strengths. So that's about understanding what we're good at and then how we can lean into that. Mm. And some of the things you were talking about, perfectionists, that might be somebody who's got high levels of discipline. Mm. And so discipline's cool. Discipline's a good thing. How can you leverage that discipline to get you what you want? Yeah. But understanding that's, that's your tendency, which is cool. We all have our tendencies, but it's about do we need to dial it up sometimes, dial it down sometimes? When is it helpful? When is it in unhelpful? And, it would, and I just said, because I've got high ideation. So... I just sit there and I just look at the world and it's like dot to dot and I can sort of pull things from different areas. So I don't mm-hmm. see anything as a box because I think that just, that constrains it. I said, just look at mm-hmm. it as a dot and then you want to draw a picture. What dots have you got to help you draw that picture? Mm-hmm. What, what exists? And what have you learned? What, what is from where and how can you draw it into what you need to do now? Because I don't think there is a box. Even when people say get out the, out the box thinking. So I don't like that phrase. No, it's already suggesting there's limits to that. And, and the box is, if there was a box, then we'd all have the same box. Yeah, we would. But we, could, we don't, so there can't be. No, 100%, I, I agree with you there. It's quite funny, there are a lot of society normal sayings you can often find. Or I think if you're into language, if you're into coaching, a lot of them you can find, what am I trying to say, that they're very limiting a lot of the time. And they confine people to thinking in certain ways. But actually, I'd be so curious with like, for example, out of the box thinking, if if there are different phrases or if society could start again, but from a, a limitless place, an abund- a place of abundance, mm-hmm. how would that change people's perceptions and change society norms? Because I mm-hmm. often find, especially with the environment that we're cult- that's cultivated, if we could start from scratch again, but only, for example, in the news, if it was the opposite was true. How would that change people's thoughts and that change people's mental and physical health? That would be an interesting experiment. If we could run one, if we could I know, run it. If you could do it, it'd be fascinating. It'd be amazing. Just say, if we just change the way, things like, how are you feeling today? Not bad. I hate that. Fine. Like, okay. Not bad. And uh, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. So I think that's, we do, you look at all the language we do and it comes, uh, but there's, so one of the theories is how we are, that we are in some ways, is the people who are more cautious, that trait of cautiousness and fear, are the people who survive. Mm. And the people who are more cavalier and more less risk-averse and sort of more adventurous are the people who die. Because in the old days, way forward, they, they, they said, is, that, is that a tiger yeah. around the corner? And then people who are more, oh, go and have a look, and all of a sudden there's a tiger. So that sort of gene of that gets sort of, because they, they, they die more often. It, it kind of gets, I will come over the word now. It, it, there's less of them. So it becomes mm. less and less and less and less. And the more cautious people, the people who live. So that becomes the gene that gets permeates through through us as, 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 as humans. And then maybe that's why we've got more of a, 
an inkling towards fear than the positive. Mm. So I can't remember, I think it might be David Rock who talks about that. Mm, interesting, that makes sense. It'd be curious, I wonder how far you need to get away from that because obviously we don't really have the fight or flight in the in the natural world anymore. So I wonder how far we need to get away from that for for things to start to change. Yeah, because it's hardwired, isn't it, fight or flight? Fight, mm. fight or freeze is hardwired and we just don't see we know it's now it's things as you say like it's, it's fear of the threats we see can be psychological can be physiological so things around about how do people perceive me everyone thinks that's why people don't like public mm. speaking is because i could get rejected by people and they might be my peers i'm going to get rejected in public and, and that's the fear that drives it which is, is a huge fear because it's we're, we're social and mm. a social rejection and that's i think why people there's such a anxiety people have or a fear or, or uh, around speaking in public because that fear is what happens if they don't like me mm. yeah or if i completely bomb or yeah and what's going to happen to me what are people going to think about me it's in front of everybody else and it's going to it's going to be horrendous i say telling a joke about a surprise comedian telling an unfunny joke in an audience and all of a sudden nobody laughs like, but that's i think those are the things we can so if we understand where we're coming from and why, as you say, then it can help us manage that situation and us in a better way to have those positive outcomes. Definitely. But that level of awareness we go back to. So we're coming to near the end, I believe. So what would you like to call it? It's a great question. I do like how to think better for something, maybe. Okay. How might we think better? Maybe it's not very enticing. Do you have an idea in mind? I was thinking, rather thinking better, how might we guide our mind for success? That's a great title. Let's go with that one. You like that one? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's way better than what I was thinking of. How might we guide our mind for success? Because it goes back to what we were all saying, isn't it? That language guides the mind. The success is whatever you want it to be, performance. Exactly, it could be anything. It's the life you want to achieve. And so what you're doing is helping you get to where you want to be as a person. Yeah, in a, in a more enjoyable way. <laughs> I like that, the more enjoyable, because we're very stoic, aren't we? Stoicism is quite high that we have to make sacrifices to achieve. For, and that permeates through a lot of the stuff. It's, it's, it's okay because it's like, and I think sometimes, and maybe COVID is actually starting to change that that built in because I was doing some work with somebody and they were talking and, was, and one of the questions I asked was about leadership training, leadership coaching just during COVID. And I said, what has COVID given you? What do you appreciate about COVID the mm. experience? What has it given you that you appreciate? And so many people answering that question is about that time, that chance to slow down and appreciate. Mm. And then, and then say, then Joe, I was on this, this wheel just running around doing things like I'm doing this for my future, but are you enjoying the today? Mm. And a lot of them say no. So when they go back, it's going to change about what is acceptable, what's not acceptable. And so I, I really think it's important about, as you've highlighted, enjoying the journey as well. You have to. It's so important. But we and tend not to. Yeah, we tend not to. And we don't, we tend not to look for ways in which we can, mm -hmm. or we already assume that we can't. And we assume that it's going to be hard and it's going to be boring. And because of that assumption, that's how we create the processes to achieve what we want to achieve. But if you're looking, well, how can I make it more enjoyable? How can I make it, you know, more high energy? Or how can I get excited about it? 
then we start to recreate the processes and transform them into ways in which we do enjoy things and even the boring stuff can become enjoyable maybe because of the outcome that it gets us yeah i mean i suppose if you talk to people who train because it's interesting when you talk to an athlete they don't go to the gym they don't diet no it's a lifestyle they they train and eat yeah so they see that as part of their, their training as part of their lifestyle yeah and they i'd imagine most of the time because i had to say like you i love cycling so i go out i'll go out on my bike not so much because I put a lot of weight on. So it's been over the COVID. I haven't got it as much as I wanted to, but just going out on a bike. And even if I do 50 miles and I did land enter John O'Groats. Amazing. And I didn't see it as a chore. Mm. I, I loved it because I think it's such a great way of experiencing the UK, not in a car, not walking. And we were all mainly B roads. So we weren't one of these like do it in nine days types. It was over two yeah. weeks. And, it was, and people took my bag. So I wasn't self, I wasn't self-sufficient, but, but I saw parts of the world. I've never, parts of the UK I've never seen before. Sort of B roads went through like the Cornwall, Devon, up through there into Wales and across and through um, North New York, North England and through the Lake Districts and up through Scotland and you, Scotland's a long country. You think yeah. when you pass the border, you're nearly there. No, it's a long <laughs> It doesn't look like it. It's a long way. So I went through Edinburgh, then went through Inverness and across that. So saw amazing parts of the country, really up close and personal and didn't tank it, didn't get my head down and just do it. Some people did because that, that was their challenge they set for themselves. How fast can I do this? And that's what they wanted. I just said, how, to me, I said, because we started and I said, so we're on holiday. Yeah. So we stopped and had ice creams on the way in bits and pieces and we just enjoyed the experience. And we had a great time, great time, but it was physically quite demanding. I didn't see it as a chore. I saw it as something I enjoyed doing. Yeah. And something you get to do as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that- the difference. I, I think when people fail at dieting and fail at exercising is because it's a chore and something they have to do or is actually, again, like what can you do to make that process enjoyable? Like what sport or what kind of physical thing would you love to do instead? And actually, I think walking is the most undervalued form of exercise that you have out there. Because anyone can walk, it's non-impact, it's brilliant. You can just go out your door and you can see areas of your landscape, of your country that you wouldn't necessarily see in sudden in such a slow way. And I love walking. I, I'm walking all the time. We have dogs as well. So they kind of make you mm. go out there and, and walk and explore locations and try out different different trails that you just wouldn't do. And it's really it's, it's so it can be so fun. You can listen to music or an audiobook as well if you want. But I feel it's when it fails is when people look at it like, oh, it's going to be so boring. It's going to be really hard. And sometimes it's great. They want it to be hard. But I feel like what, what do you, again, coming back to the same thing, like what do you enjoy doing the most? Is it cycling or walking or running or swimming or a combination of everything? And then kind of being like an athlete, you get to do it. And it's then part of your lifestyle that you look forward to doing that thing. Absolutely. It's like last night, just went out on a bike ride. Just did 20 miles. Mm. Work. So come on, it's sunny. Let's go out. It's great. Oh, such a nice evening last night. I'm jealous. And I live near the sea. So we basically, and we, but the way out, we had a headwind and I was like, oh, but remember, it means it's going to be so much easier coming home because it was an out and back. So it was all right. Uh, it was, we went west into this west, yeah, yeah. the easterly headwinds. And coming back, we flew down the promenade. It was great. And the beach was on the sides and we thought, mm. and then there was a little bar. So should we stop and have a, have a drink on the beach? What a, what a life. Amazing. That sounds incredible. It was a good, it was a good evening, but okay. Adelaide, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and thank and you very much for your time and your insights. So how might we guide our minds for success? Happy with that? Yeah.
Brilliant. Thank you. I do. Okay. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. You're welcome.